thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Here's the word in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, Christians are Soldiers. Pray with me. God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for the Holy Spirit. God, I pray now that you would anoint my mouth and my mind. Give me the words to say that would be sound doctrine. God, I thank you for each person who has made their way into this place today. God, I pray that you would build our faith, strengthen our system of hope, teach us what you would have us to know from your word, by your spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. Christians are soldiers. I thought about that title as I was in my office putting it together, and I could have said Christians should be soldiers because all Christians aren't acting like soldiers. Are you following me? Christians should be soldiers, but then I thought, no, the reality is, just like we are ambassadors, the Scripture tells us in Corinthians, we are His ambassadors, we represent Him everywhere we go. The Bible tells us in Timothy that we are His soldiers, and just like sometimes we're not good ambassadors, sometimes we're not good soldiers, but we're always soldiers. If you're saved at all, you are in the army of the Lord. Now, being prior army, I like that. Isn't that awesome? So some of y'all were sailors. Some of you were airmen. So I don't know if we have any Coast Guard. I don't even know what you call those cats. Some of you were Marines. But in the army of the Lord, we are soldiers. Say soldiers. That's killing y'all in the Navy town. I know it. But hallelujah. Anyhow, if somebody hasn't already told you, happy Memorial Day. Memorial Day is not just another excuse to take a day off of school or a day off of work. It's not just, as many people say, even though it's more popularly known as the start of summer and the first weekend to really be at the beach. You know, we live here. You can go to the beach any time of year here. Yeah, I mean, you go on my Facebook. We, we were on the beach at Christmas. We were on the beach all, all through January, February. You can go to the beach anytime you want to here, but it's known more so as the opening of the beaches nationwide, and the beaches are packed this weekend. I was telling my kids, we just don't get it. I'm a single dad. We, we don't understand why families rush off to do something that they know every other family in America is doing. That's why years ago we started taking cruises on Christmas. But guess what's happened in the last few years? For real. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Stay at home with your families. One thing I love about cruises, they have the, the comedy zone. They have the uh, comedy club on the boat, and they keep it clean because it's a family. Well, the one we go to is a family. When you go later at night, you'd love to hear some of anything. But one of the comedians said one year, you guys are the most special Americans in the whole world. You are a unique breed. You love your families so little you left them at home on Christmas and came out in the middle of the ocean. And I thought, you know, people should not be doing that. So if you don't get anything out of today's message, get this. Stop crowding up cruise boats during Christmas. Amen. You can't get that in every church. No other preacher on the planet said that this morning but me. 
go to the beach on Memorial Day. Why don't you just shoot yourself in the head? I mean, how do you think traffic's going to be? I'm not advocating. Look, people are like, ah, lighten up, smile. Laughter does the heart good like medicine. I'm just not going to do what everybody else is doing. We don't go to Disney World in the summer. We do go to Disney World about six times a year, but we don't go in the summer. Why? Because, A, it's too hot. B, it's too crowded. C, I'm not waiting an hour to get on a ride that lasts for two minutes. And the traffic is just ridiculous. Listen, as in the body of Christ, so I like to live my life on holidays. Go in the opposite spirit. If somebody cuts you off in traffic, your first response as a normal human being is to do something unkind. When someone does something unkind to you, you want to respond in kind. When somebody flips you off, you want to, well, not you because you're holy, but I mean normal human beings, somebody hits you, you want to hit them back. That's just natural. But God has called us to be supernatural. God has called us to be different. It's called what theologians have now termed moving in the opposite spirit, doing what everybody else isn't doing. How cool would it be if Christians really began to move in the opposite spirit? Instead of doing what the rest of the world is doing, well, I got to look out for me. I got to get me, me, minds and minds on. Instead of just taking care of us four and no more, what if we really started to live out the word? Instead of, if you hit me, I'll hit you back. What if we started turning the other cheek? Instead of hoarding all of our money up for a rainy day, what if we just started blessing people with what God has blessed us with? It's called moving in an opposite spirit. I said all that to say this. If you go to the beach tomorrow, it's going to be crowded. Don't be upset. But Disney's packed. Beaches are packed. You made a great decision today. You came to church. You didn't have to. School is almost over. Listen to Clay County. Boy, this Clay County school system is just driving me crazy. They have school all five days this week. Last week of school, five half days. Just me? You don't get the stupidity in that? Five half days? Is it four? I'm sending mine to five. They're at least going to walk down to the bus stop. But half days knock that thing out and let's be done we're about to go into summertime school is about to be over there is a lot of stuff vying for your attention and people love to put off till tomorrow what they should be doing today the devil wants to cloud your mind and make you a procrastinator i'm not going to ask you to raise your hand and see how many of y'all procrastinate you know who you are plus you'd have to think about do i procrastinate you know, the type of people make a to-do list of to-do list things that they're going to to-do one day. The procrastination is a trick of the devil. It, it, he, he does it to try to slow down your destiny, to prevent you from being where God wants you to be. And there's always going to be a new event for procrastination. Well, as soon as so-and-so gets married. Well, as soon as school gets out. Well, as soon as we get back to school. Well, as soon as we get past Thanksgiving. Well, as soon as we get the new job. As soon as we move. As soon as so there's always going to be something to steal your attention away from what you should be doing. So if you don't hear anything else, hear this. It's time to get on with the getting on. If you're ever going to do anything, if you're ever going to be anything in life, this is the only life you have. Most of us have played too many video games, but life is not a video game. There is no reset button. You don't get a do-over. This isn't a trial run. This is it. This is the last Memorial Day weekend of 2016 that we will ever have. I'm glad you came to church, but I want you to do more than just be in church today. I want you to receive something from the Lord. See, 
there will be people in this room that receive something and feel like, I enjoyed being in church today. I felt like God spoke to me. And there will be other people who are like, it's just always the same. He just tries so hard to be funny, and I just don't get it, and I don't know. And, and listen, I'm funny. It is. It, hey, don't, don't test me. I, I'm going to loosen you up before you leave here because you need to enjoy being in church. That's why I let some of y'all sleep. I believe what the old deacon said. Everybody ought to get something when they come to church, even if it's nothing more than a good nap. But it's not up to me whether or not you receive anything today. My delivery, my oratory is going to be the same. What I'm going to say is going to be the same in your hearing and your neighbor's hearing and the person in the front and the person in the back's hearing. It's not in my oratory or my ability to speak as to whether or not you will receive. It's in your willingness to receive. And I hope that you can agree with me today that God is real, that this book is special, that it's a living book. And if we will listen to the words of this book, not only will our faith be increased, but we give God an opportunity to speak to us. How cool would that be? Believe with me for a moment that you really believe that God is real. Imagine with me for a moment that you really believe this whole Bible story and this whole Jesus thing, that there really is only one God, and he created everything, and he runs everything, and he's sitting up in heaven somewhere, and he actually knows who you are. Wow. Not only that, but he actually has you here on purpose, and he wants to say something to you today. I believe if you'll listen, you will hear from the Lord. This week, not just my sister's birthday, not just Memorial Day weekend, but this is the eight-year anniversary of the first week I met Dave Ramsey. Eight years ago, I spent five days in Nashville at an event called Momentum, where Dave and his people teach a lot of uh, financial stewardship, awesome, awesome stuff. I don't agree with everything he says, but the guy is brilliant in the area of finances. You need to be listening to someone that knows more than you about finances. You need to be taking advice. The Bible says there's safety in a multitude of counselors. I actually got some time, uh, an opportunity to spend some one-on-one -on -one time with Dave Ramsey, really nice guy. But one of the things that we learned there, because it was a week for preachers, and one of the things he talked about was the danger of going into a new building or going into a new building project. And he showed us the statistics that whenever a church relocates or builds a new building on their property, within 18 to 24 months, 90% of the senior pastors are gone because it's stressful, because people leave, because people get mad, because people don't like change, people don't like transition. We are about two years into the renovation and the relocation to this new property, and not only am I here. Now, you can't tell it by the crowd today. You should have seen last week. You can't tell it by the crowd today, but not only am I still here after this relocation and rebuilding, but I believe our church is spiritually stronger than it's ever been, and I think God is on the throne and doing great things in our community. 18 to 36 months. 18 to 36 months is how long the average senior pastor stays in one pulpit. Next week, I do hope you'll come out to our Sunday night fellowship. Next week, we will be celebrating as a church, and my family and I will be celebrating together as a family, 15, the 15-year 15 anniversary of the founding of this church. So I have outlasted the 18 to 36-month curve, and I'm glad that God still allows me to pastor this church, and I'm glad that you're still here serving God together with me. Hallelujah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All over the country today, people hopefully are talking about Memorial Day. Hopefully they're thinking about the real purpose 
of Memorial Day, a day where our nation sets aside time to honor the men and women who have given their life in military service for our country, so our country could remain a free country. And I want you to know that even though we are free, somebody had to pay the price. Not just in the spirit realm. You realize our freedom, salvation is free to us, but it costs God a lot. Salvation is free to us, but it costs Jesus a lot. Salvation is free to us, but it's not free. Everything has a price. And the freedom that we enjoy as Americans has a price too. And that's why we set this day aside to recognize those who have fallen in service for our country and to show appreciation to them. Now, growing up in North Florida, I think that the people who grew up in Jacksonville have a natural sense of military appreciation. When Cecil Field was open, when Mayport was at its highest, NAS Jacks, NAS Cecil Field, and Mayport made us one of the largest Navy towns in the country. And the military has always meant a lot to our local community, but I see it meaning less and less to our nation. Mm. I see it meaning less and less to people on social media. I see people being disrespectful of those who wear the uniform that fight for our freedom, and that burdens me because I'm a patriotic man. I love America, and I love our military. I was born in San Diego. Let me see all you Navy guys. How many people are either Navy, prior Navy, or have family in the Navy? Let me see your hand. All right? So you guys ought to be able to put this together. I was born in San Diego, California. I went to elementary school in Norfolk, Virginia. And by God's grace and the Navy's money, I moved to Jacksonville as an 11-year-old. Do you see a Navy connection between those three largest Navy towns in the world? I love the Navy so much that as soon as I got old enough, I enlisted in the United States Army. <laughs> Hallelujah. Spent three of the best years of my life serving in the Army. And people say, why did you choose the Army over the Navy? And I tell them then what I tell you now. Because some people are just cut out to be part of the biggest and the best. <laughs> Hallelujah. You have to say that every now and then. Not a lot of Army people in Jacksonville, but there are a lot of military people. And I thank God for what our military does for us and has done for us and continue to do for us in the face of less respect. In the face of less respect. I was talking to my kids just the other day about the job that police officers do. Police officers used to be a, a great vocation to go into, but I see the hardship that police have in this country now, the lack of respect, the desire for everybody to throw them in jail, lock them up. I told my son, man, I, I wouldn't advise anybody to go in that career, to get thrown in jail for doing your job, to face the disrespect, the respect level in this country. Listen, we're not going to agree on everything, but can we agree the respect level in this country has fallen down? Can we agree that the respect level in this country is, is lower than it's ever been? The patriotism in this country is lower than it's ever been. I see people doing stuff to the United States flag on social media that makes me want to put my Bible on the shelf and hunt them down. I'm not supposed to say that. Only plumbers can feel that way, not preachers. Give me a pipe wrench then. I can kill two birds with one stone. Let's keep moving. As, as, as a young man, I told you I spent three years of my life serving in the Army. I love the freedom this country has. I love this country, and I love the people who are willing to risk their lives defending our great country. Listen, I'm going to get into the word in a moment, but the Bible says that we ought to give honor to those whom honor is due, 
And I want everybody, I know you're humble, I know you didn't do it for applause, but I want everybody who is currently serving or who has served in our armed forces just to stand with me for a moment. I want to say a prayer over us and our troops that are in theater now. Would you, all veterans and active military, would you stand with me right now? And could we recognize these fine men and women right here who have purchased our freedom? Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Would, would, would you guys still standing? And I know you understand the, the value of our brothers and sisters who are still fighting around the world. And I hope that you can echo with me, I wish that they would all come home today. I wish that we would bring every one of them home today and leave all this other stuff to everybody else. I'm not going to get into politics with you today, and you don't have to agree with me on anything other than that Jesus is the only way to heaven. But I want you guys, everybody, to join with me in a prayer and pray for the safety of those who are still serving and have placed themselves willingly in harm's way. Let's pray. God, thank you for each man and woman standing in this room today. God, I honor them for their service to our country. I thank you for the way you have blessed our country. Lord, and we pray for our military men and women who are still serving around the country, especially those who are in theater in harm's way. God, I pray your protection over them. I pray that you would bring them home safely to their mothers, to their fathers, to their husbands, to their wives, to their sons, their daughters, their friends, and their community. Thank you, God, for the life that you have given us. Thank you for this country. Lord, I pray your blessing on this country, and I pray your blessing on our military. In Jesus' name, amen. Come on, put your hands together one more time. You can be seated. As Christians... We should think about military-themed holidays as it relates to our life as soldiers in the army of the Lord. Think about what the Bible teaches about soldiering. The Bible says that we have a warfare. Some denominations don't even teach about spiritual warfare, and they're losing the battle and don't even know they're in a battle. That's a bad place to be in. The Bible has a lot to say about spiritual warfare. Not only do we have weapons to fight with, we have armor to protect us, and we also have a superior officer that you should want to please. We have a superior officer that you should want to please, and, and I want you this morning to evaluate how the battle is going in your life and I want us to make sure that we stay focused on the task at hand. Life will distract you. That's why so many people tell me all the time, Pastor Scott, I wish I could just get back to where I was when I first got saved. I wish I could feel the way I felt when I first got saved. Well, God doesn't want you just to go back to that. He wants you to move beyond that. that that's puppy love. That's intro love. God wants to develop greater intimacy with us, but most people were so excited about that time in their life because probably for the first time and maybe the only time ever, they pushed aside all distractions and focused on God more than they ever had because distractions will keep your mind off doing what God has called us to do. Let's look at our text in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Put verse 1 on the screen for me, Kari. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Now, this is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. But remember what I've told you for years. One of the coolest things about the Bible to me is even though Paul was writing this letter to a specific individual and wrote other letters to specific churches and specific cities, as he was addressing a specific person with specific issues, God was superintending that whole time for this information, not only to be right for Timothy then, but Scripture for us now. Do you believe that? 
So this is not only a letter from Paul to Timothy, but it's a letter from God to us. And when God says son or God says man, remember, primarily that's not gender specific. It's talking to humans. So ladies, don't think because it says man that you get let off that part of the scripture. He says that we need to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. If I had time or just wanted to get through this one verse, I could spend the rest of the hour on this one verse because most people in church would not even self-categorize their life as strong. Don't answer out loud, but if you had to answer right now, if I started with Jacob and went all the way around the room and put the microphone in your face and I said, are you a strong Christian? Most people would shrink away from that question, and most people would feel like they're not strong. Listen, I want to tell you something. The strength that God is looking for has nothing to do with size or stature. The strength that God is looking for has nothing to do with your prowess or your education or your intellect. The strength that God wants to give us and fill us with is strength that comes from grace and his son. You can be strong in Christ. Do you believe that? Look at verse 2. He said, And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. This is a very Hebraic mindset. This is a mindset of passing down stories, and you need to pass down stories. You need to have family time, and you need to tell the same stories all the time. I hope your family does. My, if you spent two days in my house, you would be sick and tired of hearing about 37 phrases that we use constantly all the time. All the time. We tell the same stories every day. We use the same cliches every day. We, we pick on each other with the same one-liners every day. Why? Because that's us. That's, that's our inside stuff. You need to have inside stuff with your family. What the Hebrews would do is they would take the stories that were important to them and they would sit around with their families and they would pass that down. You know what people sit around with at restaurants and dinner tables now? Cell phones. Listen, find some parenting skills and stop letting your child take out their technology with a meal in front of them. That's time out for that. Get rid of that and talk about life. Get rid of that and remind them why your family is cool. We go to restaurants. Because I'm a single parent that only cooks cereal and Pop-Tarts, well, I do make good Pop-Tarts. Hallelujah. Part of good making good Pop-Tarts is picking the right ones. Get rid of those bad Pop-Tarts. Come see me. I'll let you know top five Pop-Tarts get. We eat out every night. And as we eat out, we watch. And if there's a traditional family sitting there, it's heartbreaking. Man reading on his phone, wife reading on hers, kids staring at theirs. Not talking at all. What is even more ridiculous than that, I routinely see people on a date that barely even look at each other. Listen, if you take somebody on a date and they don't look up from their Facebook time, you need to let them pay and never see them again. But Hebrews would sit around and they would tell their stories. I hope that you pass down family stories to your children and to your family members. This is how the gospel is spread from one generation to the next. And Paul told Timothy, all these things that you've heard from me, all these things that I've been teaching you, commit these things. Teach these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. It is a cycle. Say cycle. It's like that commercial 
What, what was the shampoo or hairspray? And she told two friends, who did that commercial? Come on, old people, help me. Y'all don't, oh, don't want to be called old now. Come on. Pretend like, y'all remember that commercial where so, somebody used the product and she liked it and she told two friends and she told two friends and so on and so on? I will throw this microphone down and I will walk out. I will lock the doors and make security keep you in here until you find that. Y'all need help. This is how the gospel has spread. This is how the stories of our faith has spread. How? Because faithful people learn the stories of the book. And then they tell other faithful people the stories of the book who can tell other faithful people the stories of the book. Listen, if you know anything about the Bible, God has commissioned you to tell somebody else about it so that these stories will remain fresh and active in the minds of people. This is how we keep truth relevant from one generation to the next generation. We are losing our way in pulpits across America because ministers have bought into this lie that the message has to be altered or even that the method has to be altered that well people aren't just being reached by the bible anymore so we got to invent new and creative ways to reach them listen what what did abraham tell the rich man across the gulf when he said to do something miraculous send somebody back from the dead to tell my five brothers he said this he said they have moses and the prophets to listen to listen we don't need newfangled church we just need Christians who are really saved to live saved lives and tell everybody about Jesus. That process will still work in America. It worked thousands of years ago to keep the Hebrew stories alive. It's been working for the last 2,000 years to keep the Christian stories alive. The reality is there just aren't as many faithful people who are committing what they know to other people as well. Let me keep moving. There's three things I want us to notice in the next few verses this morning out of our text. Three things that we're commanded to do. Think about the first one. Endure hardship. Say hardship. You won't hear a lot about this on Christian television. You won't hear a lot about this on Christian radio because this doesn't sell hope. It doesn't sell hype and it doesn't make a lot of people want to send money. If you hear someone on TV ever tell you a dollar amount that relates to some scripture that they read out of Ezekiel 12 and 15, God promised blah, blah, blah. So if you'll send a $12.15 seed right now, God, listen, that's scammery, that's con artistry, it's not biblical, no real man, woman of God have ever done that in generations past. And I already told you what the scripture says, if it's new, it's not true. People ask me, what do y'all have at Abundant Life to grow the church? Singing and preaching. Well, what do y'all have for the kids? Singing and preaching. Well, what do y'all have for the teenagers? Singing and preaching. Well, what do you have for the recently divorced recovery addict? Singing and preaching. Why? Because that's what God called us to do. If you read in the Bible, it says when you gather together corporately, come with songs and hymns and spiritual songs. The Bible says when you gather together to lift your hands in the sanctuary, to have testimony time, and to give attention, pay attention to the reading of the Word of God, to bring forth exhortation, rebuke, and correction. We need to endure hardship. You don't hear a lot talked about hardship on TV and radio. Why? Because they need money. And they want to tell you, come to Jesus and everything's going to be all right. Has anybody figured out that's not true? That's not true. That's not biblical. Read the book. All the prophets and apostles uh, died horrible deaths. They endured hardship. The only one of the 12 apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ that didn't die a horrible death was John. And he had to live a ripe old age, and that ain't always a blessing. <laughs> hey, 
I already told y'all, I missed my James Dean hope. I don't know. I don't know how I missed it. I had a real plan. I think it was James Dean. I don't care who it was, but it, it was a great saying, and I was living off that hope that one day I was going to live fast, die young, and leave a good-looking corpse. I've shot past all that now, but honestly, I don't want to live to be old. It'd be okay with me if Jesus came back today. Four people. There's a crown laid up for you. We'll talk about it some other day, but the Scripture says to endure hardness. In verse 3, the Bible says, that You therefore must endure hardship, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. You, therefore, when you read that word, therefore, you need to look back in the previous verses and see what it's there for. Because of what's been said in verses 1 and 2, we Christians must endure hardship. Now, if God is saying that we must endure hardship, can we take from that reading that there will be hardship? If there was no hardship, God would have wasted all these words, and there are no wasted words in the Bible. There is hardship in the Christian life. This lie that people are saying to build mega churches, this lie that people are saying to get more money sent to their TV ministry, come to Jesus, and he's going to give you double for your trouble. Sow a seed in faith right now, and God's about to open up heaven over you. You might be the janitor now, but God about to rise you up. You're God about to open a door over you. Let heaven rain down on you, and you're going to be the CEO no, the Oa is not going to be you because God didn't call everybody to be the CEO. And if your whole goal is just personal promotion, if your whole goal in life is just self-grandiose, if your whole goal in life is just to climb the corporate ladder so you can have more junk that will have you, then you're missing out the whole plan on loving God and knowing him in this life. You hear people saying that stuff, you know they haven't read most of the Bible because the Bible tells us that there are difficulties for the believer to face. You want to find somebody who really is saved? Talk to them about their salvation. Well, when you came to Jesus, did everything get better? Did God give you double for your trouble? Did all your friends clap and applaud you? Did all your family rally around you and throw a party for you? Was everybody excited for you that you quit drinking and whoring and, and doing all the things that you had been doing in the past? Did you stop partying with them? Were they excited that your holiness made them feel bad about their sin? Were they? No. Come to Jesus and some things get more difficult. Anybody? What? God says to endure that. Endure that. Hardship more than anything. Not signs and wonders. Not health, wealth, and prosperity. Hardship more than anything is the hallmark of true Christianity. The Bible says all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. It doesn't say all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall drive Mercedes, Maybach, or Bentley. It doesn't say all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall live in a mansion on the river. Listen, there's nothing wrong with being rich. There's nothing wrong with having stuff. Just don't let stuff have you. But we need to get our mind right about this hardship thing because there are too many people that quit when it gets hard. And that's why I think I should sound the alarm and let you know, hey, extra, extra, read all about it. There's going to be some hardship. Could you imagine? Now, we're thinking about the military. We're thinking about being a good soldier. We're thinking about Memorial Day. We're thinking about being a soldier in God's army. What if a recruiter, now you do know recruiters lie. Not all of them. Some of them. Preachers lie too. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a worldwide problem. But what if the recruiter told you, oh, join the Marine Corps. Our boot camp is fun. You get to rest all day long. That we, we have people fan you with palm fronds, and we have gorgeous half-dressed women feed you with grapes for 13 weeks long. You just get manicures and pedicures every day. We read you nighttime stories at night, and, and we, we, we let you, you know, just enjoy 
13 weeks of rest and relaxation. Yeah, that's a lie. It ain't even that easy in the Air Force. <laughs> ah, that's funny to me. <laughs> but they don't tell people that. They let them know the truth. They prep them for the truth. It's like when a football team is about to play another football team. If they've got a great running game, the defensive coordinator should not be telling his defense, oh, this week's going to be a cakewalk. We're going to shut this run down like nobody's business. Listen, you don't prep people properly that way. If you know they're going into a battle, you let them know, hey, look, things are going to be tough. God never said it'd be easy. He only said it'd be worth it. I'd rather go through hardship and end up in heaven than go through an easy life and end up in hell any day of the week. But so many people quit when life gets hard, and they're just shocked and blown back like, well, I didn't know it was going to be that hard. Well, somebody should have told you. Somebody should have prepared you. I, I love what the, what the writer, what Erwin McManus said in his book, The Barbarian Way. He put on the jacket of his book, if God's plan for his son, Jesus Christ, was the way of suffering, what makes you think it's going to be all luxury for you? Well, that's deeper than most people want to get on Sunday morning. But God tells us that we must endure hardship. One thing every military person can tell you, that there are certain difficulties in the military. There's certain areas of hardness that come with the job. Every soldier knows that soldiering is hard work, and there's no room for complaining. There's only room for enduring. You got to suck it up and do it. You got to make it happen. You got to understand. And one of the greatest things to help motivate soldiering is when you know that time is short. Anybody that's ever been in the military or worked on a job where people get that short timer's mindset, once you get within that final 100 days, Every soldier will tell you the same thing. I'm almost out of here. I don't care what they put me through. I can stand on my head and stack peas for 99 days, and they just get a mindset that life's easier now. It's not any easier. Soldiering's not any easier. What's different? Their mindset got different because they started realizing, I'm almost done. I, I've done it. I, I've succeeded. I've passed it. I'm going to get through this thing. I want you to know, Christian, we're almost done. God could come back at any time. But the Bible says that God's promises are to those who endure. And as Christians, we need to understand there's going to be tough times. There's going to be times of suffering, times of persecution. But God told me to remind you this morning that it's still worth it. What if coming to Christ you lose some friends? Is it still worth it? What if coming to Christ means that you have to come to church by yourself because everybody in your family doesn't want to come with you? Is it still worth it? What if coming to Christ makes people not understand certain things about you and makes them criticize you and makes them mock you? Is it still worth it? What if coming to Christ means you can't take the job that you want or the promotion that you want because it'll interfere with your servitude to the Lord? Is it still worth it? we got to get our mind off the temporary things and get our mind on the eternal things. And if we understand that it's worth it, if we understand that the payoff is bigger than the put-in, then we will stop complaining as much as Christians. Our mission is to glorify God and to reach the lost at any cost. we got to endure hardness to get this done because the lost world cannot reach themselves. They're not going to win each other to Christ. The Bible says if the blind lead the blind, they both fall in the ditch. So we've got work to do, but too many people, not only do they give up, they give up and they want to promote why they gave up. I'm done with church. I'm done with God, and I'm done with Christianity. Why? Because I came to church two weeks in a row, and the pastor didn't even shake my hand. 
Here's a news flash for you. I'm old. I'm tired. I'm already sweating down into my socks. And as soon as I say amen, I probably will go to my office and sit down and get out of these wet clothes. But he ain't going to stand around and shake my hand, kiss my baby's neck. I'm not a politician. You didn't vote me in. You can't vote me out. I'm going to do what God told me to do. Politicking you is not part of it. Well, I, 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 I'll never be back to that church. He told me that I needed to live right with God. Who is he? The mailman. That's all. I'm not saying I've got it perfected, but I already told you. Don't get mad at the mailman because your light bill is high. Tell your kids to quit standing in the refrigerator door thinking new food's going to show up. I'm just telling you what I know. We've got a job to do. Too many people quitting. Quitting over silly stuff. She looked at me. I was going to shake her hand as she walked the other way. I walked up to her and said, hello. She didn't even speak back. Your breath might have been so bad she almost gagged. She was trying to get to the bathroom. You don't know. You don't know what you did. You don't know what she. I know she saw me, and then she picked her eye with her middle finger. You know what that means. You, say, you, you think I'm making this up? I've heard all of this. My cousins, nephews, sisters, auntie on my third brother's side, twice divorced, nine times removed, was in the hospital for removal of an ingrown toenail. They didn't even send the elders by with anointing of oil and laying on their hands. That man had to endure toenail surgery all by himself. Did you tell anyone? Cletus was having his fetus cut on? No, but they're supposed to know that. That's their job. So I'll never be back. Well, I got a good feeling you wasn't all the way in too often anyhow. I can't, I'll never go back to that church. They took an offering and asked me to give my money. God said, every week on the first day of the week, set aside 10% of everything that came in your house and put it in the bucket. Well, tithing is Old Testament. No, read Matthew 23. Jesus said you must tithe. I'll never go back to a church. They believe in holiness. He preached, I've got to read my Bible every day if I want to be all that God wants me to be. Do you know how busy I am? How am I going to put? People quit and then want to brag about their stupidity of why they're offended with the truth. Do you realize church attendance is lower in America than it's ever been? Wicca and Islam are the two fastest growing religions in America. Losing people from Christian churches going into cults is not a good sign. Why? Because no one wants to endure in this generation. People want to have it their way. That's one of the things I loved about Drill Sergeant Robinson, Fort Dix, New Jersey, the spring of 1986. If he said it once, he said it a thousand times. This ain't Burger King. You ain't going to have it your way. It's going to be the Army way. That's my way. It ain't Burger King. It ain't Burger King. It ain't Burger King. We won the entire post parade, and we got one lunch off post in our entire basic training time, and we got to pick. Anybody got any confusion about where we picked? We could have we said a steakhouse, a seafood joint, a good rib shack. No, sir. Guess where it was going to be? Burger King. And the whole time, we all said quietly, because he would have ripped our heads off and spit on us, we all said, we're at Burger King now. You ought to understand when you come to Christ, you're not at Burger King anymore. It's not about have it your way, have it your way. That's what the world wants. 
That's what the world wants. The world wants to do what they want to do, say what they want to say, dance how they want to dance, play how they want to play. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is about enduring hardship so you can please the one who called you into this lifetime. So you got to learn to endure hardship. Say endure. Not only that, but secondly, we need to make sure that we don't get tangled up. Don't get tangled up in what? Life. Don't get tangled up in this life. This life is temporary. This life is passing. The Bible says that our life is just a vapor. It appears for a little while, and then it's gone. Whether you live 50 years or 150 years compared to eternity, that's less than a blink. Less than a blink of an eye. We need to be focused on eternity more so than we're focused on now, but too many people get tangled up. That's why when somebody gets saved, they're so excited. How long is that going to last? couple days, maybe a couple weeks, hopefully a couple of months, maybe a lifetime, maybe not. Why do people who get saved and are so excited about their new life in Christ, why do they dumb down and get just as boring as the average church folk? Because life happens. And they get distracted. Life happens. And they get tangled up. Verse 4 says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Listen, I've been in the military. I've I've been in lots of war games. And I promise you this, when bullets are flying and people are screaming, you're not trying to place a personal phone call to the house. Listen, nobody plays dominoes better than military people. Nobody plays cards better than military people. But when bullets are flying and bodies are screaming, that's not the time to break out them bones and let's play dominoes. Are you following me? You don't get tied up in worldly things when you have battle going on. Nobody engaged in a warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? So that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. Him, same word. Let's have, let's have a Bible quiz. Let's just take you to school real quick. Let, I, let you show me how brilliant you are and what a biblical scholar you are. One of these words should be capitalized because it's talking about God. One of them is talking about people. So the two proper answers are God and people. Don't get entangled so that you may please him. Him who? Who has enlisted him who? Man. People. God has enlisted people to be soldiers in his army, and we ought to have a desire to please him. Do you realize the Bible teaches when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes inside you to take up residence in your life? Don't don't believe bad theology. Well, I'm still praying for the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in the book of Romans that if you don't have the Holy Spirit, you're none of his. You You get the Holy Spirit at the point of salvation. He comes to live inside you. And one of the things that he does is convict you of sin, righteousness, and judgment. One of the things that he does is compels you and constrains you. He draws you and he drives you to want to honor the Father. This is why Christian music should have a special place in your life. This is why church attendance should have a special place in your life. This is why Bible study should have a special place in your life. This is why soul winning should have a special place in your life. This is why servitude should have a special place in your life. This is why giving should have a special place in your life. Because the spirit on the inside you is drawing you and driving you to want to please him who enlisted you. I believe one of the primary motivating factors of every real Christian is I want to please God. If you can honestly tell me today, I don't care if God's pleased with me or not, then I can tell you this. You are unsaved and without Christ. 
Because anybody born of the Spirit of God doesn't think that way. That's not Christian thinking. We should want to please the one who enlisted us into his army. Don't get tangled up, the Scripture says. As, as military, as army, we know you can't, you, you're not a civilian anymore. They brainwash you, and they make sure you know that in basic training. You march all the time, and everywhere you march, you sing. And you don't sing songs to keep time. You could sing numbers to keep time. You sing songs to get your mind right. You sing songs to remind yourself that you're not a civilian. You sing songs like, I used to wear my faded jeans. Now I'm wearing army green. You sing songs like, they took my job, they took my wife. Now I live the army life. Or I left my job, I left my wife, now I, took the, now I live the army life. You sing songs that remind you that you are not in Kansas anymore. It's not Burger King, and you're not in control. Do you realize when you sign up to be in the Lord's army, you are no longer a civilian, and you have signed away your civil rights? Military people don't have civil rights. If you don't understand that, try to be in the military and complain about civil rights. You don't have any. When you signed up to be in the military, you set aside your civil rights. That's never more clear than it is on a urine test. I, I was stationed at several different places, and they all had the same rule. They all had civilian workers there. Civilians had to take urine tests as well, random drug tests. But guess what? They had civil rights. That meant that you had to respect them. That meant they got to go into a bathroom stall with a cup on their own and come back out and hand the cup. Well, in the Army, you have no civil rights. Dude hands you a cup. Go ahead. Go ahead, what? Pee in that cup. Why go in the bathroom? You're in the bathroom. Pee in the cup. Why well, can't pee with you staring at me? You're not going to pass this test then. I'm like, can I get some water, some orange juice, something? I mean, you know, I got shy bladder here. You're staring at me. Why didn't I have the same civil rights as the civilians who were working in the same facility that I was working in? Not only were they getting paid more money than I was getting paid, but they were getting treated better. Why? Because they were civilians and I wasn't. And I had to do what the army told me to do. And I couldn't say, well, I don't like the way it is because you don't get a vote once you sign up. Your job is to do what the military tells you to do. And I want you to know that if you have signed up for the army of the Lord, you need to stop worrying about your rights and start concentrating on God's kingdom. You can't get the job done if you let yourself get tangled up in civilian life. If you could just get a mental shift. If you could just get a mental shift where you started seeing yourself starting today as more than just you. If you could get a mental shift where you started seeing yourself not just as a child of God, but as a representative of the Lord everywhere you go. As a soldier, as a uniform-wearing soldier representing God everywhere you go. Then maybe you could start getting more serious about this thing we call the Christian life. It's not just you anymore. We represent God everywhere we go. That's why we can't live like civilians anymore. When you sign up to serve in God's kingdom, you give up a lot of your rights and you give up a lot of things. You give up a lot of individuality. Well, I just got to be me. No, you got to die to me and come alive to him. That's the message of the cross. Deny yourself. In a generation of people who want to stand out as individuals, they want to stand out as unique, the Bible tells us that we have to die to our own agenda and we have to serve him. Is anybody following me? It's not a popular message, but it's the truth 
anyhow. Listen, there are no mattresses in the field of battle. There, there, are, there are no special pillows in the field of battle. You give up your right to those things when you sign up to be a part of this country's military, and we've given up rights to many things as we signed up in God's army. So why are people still complaining about it? Why are still people still complaining about what they have to give up? Listen, if you don't want to give up the things that God has called you to give up, go back to it. Give up Christianity. Do you, for the next however many years, die and spend eternity in hell? There's your choice. Because God has said from the beginning, I've set before you a choice, a blessing or a curse, a blessing if you obey me and a curse if you disobey me. There's not really a whole need for a bunch of drama inside the church. If you want what God offers, get on with it. What does God offer? Hardship. What does God offer? Sacrifice. What does God offer? Denial of self and come alive to Jesus. Well, you say, well, that doesn't sound great to me. Well, let me, let me say one other thing God offers. Heaven over hell. I'm taking that no matter what. You put everything else on any side you want. I want heaven over hell. Does anybody agree with that? You can't get tangled up in the affairs of this life. Some people do it through their job. Some people do it through their family. I played baseball, football, basketball, and soccer all through growing up. I was at the park all the time. My mom was working. She didn't have to take me to the park. I lived close enough to the park. I could ride my bike. Some of y'all have kids in sports all year round. You know the strain that it is. You know you have to live at that park. The park has become some family's church because they're up there all the time. You can get tied up in the sports of your kids. You can get tied up in the ballet, the tap dancing, the song lessons of your kids. You can get tied up in your own hobbies. You can get tied up in your job. You can get tied up in computers. You can sit and surf the internet all day long, but every one of those things is preventing you from doing what God has called you to do. I'm not saying don't have your kid in sports. I'm not saying throw away the internet. I'm saying, can you really put God first? We got to decide whether or not we want to be tied up or whether we want to please the one who has called us. 2 Peter 1.3 says, by his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. He has given us everything we need for living a godly life. Stop letting the devil tell you you're not equipped. Stop letting the enemy or voices in your head tell you that you're not smart enough, that you don't know enough about the Bible, that you haven't been saved long enough, that you've made too many mistakes. There's no excuse that should prevent you from being all that God has called you to be because the Scripture declares He's given you everything you need to serve Him. The question is, are you willing? The question is, are you more concerned? Let's just be honest. Are you more concerned with the affairs of this life or are you more concerned with pleasing God? Who called you to be in his army? I've had many parents get mad at me over the last 15 years of pastoring this church for what I've told those kids. Listen, I'll tell your kids the same thing. If now I, I typically reserve this for adult children of parents, but don't, don't try me. If a kid comes in and tells me in front of his parents, I don't want nothing God has for me. I just want to smoke my weed and hang with my friends. I tell them, well, buy good weed and smoke all you can get. Parents get mad at me. And they're like, what did you just say? I said, buy good weed and smoke all you can get. How can you say that? I said, well, if Junior's going to die and go to hell forever, he may as well have some kind of fun between now and then. 
Listen, I'm not going to be sidetracked, and I'm not going to beg somebody to serve God. If you think the payoff in serving yourself is greater than the payoff in serving God, get to it. Get to it. Go grab all the gusto you can get. And one day we will stand up. Well, I won't because I don't do funerals for lost people. Never have, never will because it's heartbreaking to me. I can't stand over somebody and say, here lies Brother Jones. Brother Jones was a good man who's singing with the angels now. No, because they asked me to do his funeral. I'm going to say, I'd rather not. You know, it's, it's just what I'd rather someone else do it. And if they made me do it, I would stand up and say, here lies Brother Jones. Although he looks peaceful in his casket, his body is on a flame right now that he can't get out of. <laughs> uh, and, 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 hey, you laugh, but it's not funny. It's real. The Bible says there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And here's the sad, crazy part. 53% of people who claim to be born again, 53% of professing Christians in this country don't believe in a literal hell. Church folk, don't come to abundant life and not believe in hell. That just tells me you don't read the Bible. Jesus preached 16 sermons in his lifetime recorded in the Gospels. 15 of them he preached specifically about hell. Listen, you want to live how you want to live? Go for that. But realize there's a payoff in the end. And for Christians, the Bible tells us, don't get tied up in in the affairs of this life. Choose God and put him first. Endure hardness. Third and last, he said, please the one who chose you. Say, please. Please the one who chose you. Do you realize if if you want to please somebody, that takes work? People don't like work. People like easy. If you want to please somebody, it takes work. The New Testament was primarily written in Greek. The Old Testament was primarily written in Hebrew. Very expressive languages, very picturesque languages. And the Greek word for worship, our our English word worship, is typically one of two Greek words. The Greek word proskuneo or the Greek word latreo. The word proskuneo means to lay at the master's feet and lick his hand like a dog licking a master's hand. If you ever had a good dog, you understand that. You move from the couch to the chair, he moves over to where you are. You lay your hand off the edge of the bed, he'll nudge it with his nose, and he'll lick it. Why? He wants you to know I'm right here if you need me. He wants you to know I know if anybody's going to touch me, feed me, play with me, if any good thing's going to happen to me, it's going to come from your hand. A dog knows how to worship his master. You cat people, you're out on an island by yourself. Uh, Greek had nothing good to say about cats. Don't hate me, hate the Greeks. The other Greek word worship that we get Uh, where we get our English word worship is from a Greek word, latruo. And it's the dominant word in the New Testament for worship. It's the dominant Greek word for worship. And here's what it means. To show your love through servitude. To show your love through servitude. Do you know when you hold the door for somebody else, that's an expression of showing your love for them through servitude? When you get up and get somebody's drink, refill their drink, I've been in places where the wife got up to refill the drink and one of the women at the table got mad. His legs ain't broke. He can get his own drink. Probably should have picked a different wife, but that's a different story for a different time. He didn't make me get up and get his drink. Listen, chances are she didn't get up and get his drink because she was scared he was going to beat her. She got up and got his drink because she loves him and wants to show love through servitude. Kids, you ought to do good in school. You ought to want to bring good report cards home to mom and dad to show them that you care about them, that you love them. There ought to be a desire in any relationship that you have with any human being to show them your love by serving them. You see somebody you care about struggling carrying a heavy box, you're like, hope they make it. Stairs are tricky. 
Good on you. Listen, you see somebody that you love struggling to do anything, your love should compel you to help them. Why? Because real love requires action. Real love is a verb. And if you really love somebody, you want to show that love in a tangible way. You want to please that person who chose you. Verse 4 says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? Look at the last phrase in verse 4, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. What's the motivation? I want to please God. My motivation for serving God is not to miss hell. I I made that point clear on July 15, 1981, when I received Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior and was born again. Uh, My ticket got punched that day. I'm I'm not serving God to make heaven. I'm serving God to show him I love him. I'm serving God not to get saved, but because I am saved. We endure hardness serving in the army of the Lord, and we keep from being tangled in the affairs of this life so we can please the one who chose us. This ought to be the motivating factor for every true Christian. Listen, I got good news for you today, and I'm going to let you go. God chose us before we had a chance to mess it up. God chose us before we blew the audition. God chose us without resume. God chose us without interview because we would have probably blown the interview. Listen to what the Bible says, St. John's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 16. You have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit. 1 John 4, 19 says, we love him because he first loved us. I have a former pastor, a great man of God. He said something, though, that was so off theologically, and he said it all the time, which made it really annoying. He used to say almost every service, the smartest thing I ever did was to give my life to Jesus. And I used to think, you know, Dr. Hudson, that's not the smartest thing you ever did. You, you didn't give your life to Jesus because you're intelligent. That didn't have anything to do with your smartness. You didn't get saved because you were smart enough to choose Jesus. And if you're here today and you're saved at all, it wasn't because you were smart enough to choose Jesus. If you're saved at all, it was because God tracked you down with his love and his grace while you were wandering and wandering and running in the other direction. He chose you. You ought to be thankful for that. You ought to be humbled by that. You ought to be blown away of all the kids at the adoption center that God could have picked. He walked in and said, I want that one right there. That's why adoption is such a beautiful picture of Christianity because it should bring, hum- it should bring a humility to the children of God. 1 John 4.10 says this is real love. It's not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Our love should be reciprocating what we've already experienced. Our love should be in response to the knowledge that he chose us when he didn't have to. He died for us when he didn't have to. He loved us when he didn't have to. Romans 5, 8 says God showed his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't save us because we were smart. He didn't save us because we were good. He didn't save us because there was anything redemptive in us. He saved us while we were still sinning. He saved us because he loved us first. Romans 8, 29 says, for God knew his people in advance. Comma. Always pause on the punctuation. Slow your reading of the word down. Take it in bite-sized pieces so you can digest it. God knew his people in advance. Do you know before there was an Adam and an Eve, God knew who you were? Before there was a Garden of Eden, God knew who you were. 
The Bible says that before there was a man, that Jesus was the Lamb of God slain before the foundation of the world. In God's mind, Jesus died on the cross before there was an Adam and Eve. And if your sin hung on the cross with Christ, and we are, as Paul said, crucified with Christ, God knew you before there was an Adam on this planet. God knew you before there was a cross at Calvary. God knew his people in advance. And he chose them to become like his son. If you're saved at all, it's not because you chose him, it's because he chose you. So that his son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Listen to verse 30. And having chosen them, I hope you're a them. I'm glad I'm a them. Having chosen them, he called them to come to him. And having called them, he gave them right standing with himself. He gave them right standing with himself. Do you know if you're saved, you don't have to work to be right with God. You are right with God because God did the work. He gave them right standing with himself. And having given them right standing, he gave them his glory. God does all the work. I told you, even though some things might be free, somebody had to pay for it. That's why when I hear people say, well, just let the government pay for it. That don't cost anything to let the government pay for it. The government doesn't have any money. The government takes money from taxpayers. You may as well look at your taxpaying neighbor and say, let you pay for it. Listen, everything that we think is free has a cost. The cost to all these things that we enjoy as Christians was paid for by God. Listen to verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? Well, that implies that you believe these things are wonderful. That, infer, that implies that you believe the fact that God knew you in advance is wonderful. That implies that you believe the fact that God chose you before you had a chance to mess it up is wonderful in your mind. And then it says a very familiar phrase, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? If you realize you're on the winning team, you don't have to fret. You don't have to worry. You know, if you were watching that game last night, like me and my sons were, if you were watching that Golden State OKC game, and it was a, a win-or-go-home game for Golden State, if you were watching that game and Golden State was getting throttled and were down by eight with three minutes to go, you, you were on the edge of your seat if you were wanting Golden State to win. And then Steph started dropping buckets. Clay kept dropping buckets. Iguodala started playing defense. Draymond stepped up. And next thing you know, Golden State won. And it was tense, and it was sketchy for everyone watching that game. And it was in OKC, and they showed that crowd walking out, heads hung down low, dejected. They thought they had the game won, but then they realized at the very end they lost it. I tape a lot of games. If I watch that game again on tape, do you realize I won't be nearly as nervous in the last three minutes of that game if I watch it again on tape? Why? Because I already know who wins. I don't have to wonder if it's going to be a game seven if I've already seen the end of the game. Listen to me, child of God. If you truly are saved, you don't need to fret. You don't need to worry. You don't need to wonder. The end of the book, the game has already been played out. The book has already been written. If you're on God's team, you're on the winning side. You win no matter what the score looks like now. You may be struggling now, but if you're on the winning team, you don't have to go through life worrying. If God is really for you, it doesn't matter who is against you. That's why this passage has been so comforting to people for so long, because a lot of times the score looks bad. A lot of times your life looks like it's heading in the wrong direction, but you need to get your mind focused on God and the fact that you are on his side and he is on your side. Verse 32 says, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? That's a rhetorical question. God already knows the answer. He's telling you that he will. 
Just like he gave Jesus for you already, he's going to give you everything that you need if you'll just learn to count on it. Verse 33 says, who dare accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Listen, the Bible says it's the devil's job to accuse the brethren. The devil walks up and down in heaven accusing the brethren constantly. He's walking up in heaven trying to make you look bad. He's walking to and fro throughout the earth trying to make you look bad, trying to make you look like you're not a real Christian, trying to make you look like, think like, feel like, or be seen as not a true child of the Father. He is wasting his time for a real believer because no, no one can, can accuse us if God's already chosen us. If we're already God's, God's given us right standing. That'd be like you coming to my house trying to tell me that this kid is not mine. And if you say, well, he did X, Y, and Z at school this week, is he still yours? Yeah. I know about some of those X, Y's, didn't know about the Z, but still, still mine. You can't convince me that he's not mine because I already know he's mine. I've already accepted him and received him as mine. And I want you to know, if you're God's, the Bible says that you're in the Lord's hand and the Lord's hand is in God's hand and the Holy Spirit has sealed you to the day of redemption and nobody can pluck you out of God's hand. If you're saved at all, it's because God chose you, you are safe, you are secure, and you need to get on with serving him. God chose you. He loves you. And he wants you to serve him. What are you waiting on? Let's just be real and get out of here. Why are you waiting? You know if you were to ask, if someone asked you for real, do you love him? You know you do. If somebody asks you for real, is he really important to you? You know you would say yes. Well, why do you have him so far on the back burner? Why don't you get him up in a position to where he rightfully belongs? Why don't you put him on the throne of your life? And make him the most important. Jesus said, if you put him first, everything else will fall into place. We're trying so hard to get life to fall in place. And then we think we'll concentrate on God. That's not the formula. The formula is to put God first. And everything else will fall in place. I got a strong desire to please God with my life. And I know every real Christian in the room has that same desire. But it's so easy to get sidetracked. It's so easy to let life happen. It's so easy to focus on other stuff. That, that's why the, the world rigs the calendar the way that it does. That's why the NBA playoffs roll into the hockey playoffs, roll into spring football, roll into baseball, postseason, roll into the World Series. I mean, everything, there's always something next. There's always something about to happen. And the enemy wants you to get sidetracked because he knows this. If you focus on the problems, you'll forget about the prize. And that's what's happened to too many people in churches. You have forgotten about the prize. You have forgotten that when you got saved, God gave you the ability to have a real relationship with him. You've forgotten the joy of prayer. You've forgotten how amazing it is to read the Bible and know that God loves you. You've forgotten how it feels to have a true awareness that God, of all the millions of people that ever lived, knows you personally and cares about you and loves you and has a plan for your life. When you focus on the problems, you can't remember the prize. And this morning, we need to refocus. See, it's not the world that needs to get right with God. It's the Christians that need to get right with God. It's not the pornographer and the liquor maker that need to get right with God. It's the people who claim the name 
of God as their father, as their commanding officers that need to get right with him. God said if his people get right, stuff will happen. We got to get refocused on God. God gave me a vision as I was preparing this sermon. And you've probably seen horse blinders. They put those blinders on that horse so that his entire focus will be straight. Not looking to the left, not looking to the right. Isn't that what the scripture tells us to do? Don't get sidetracked. Stop worrying about tomorrow. Stop worrying about yesterday. Live in the moment. And let, be, let God not just be the God of your future eternity. Let God be the God of your today. He's a right now God. He calls himself Jehovah Shema, the God who is very present, the God who is here in your face. Stop being sidetracked. Put on some Holy Ghost blinders. The blinders of Bible study and prayer will allow you to continue to look straight. The Bible says to set your focus on Jesus because he's the beginning and the end. He's the author and the finisher of our faith, and we need to refocus on him. There's too many distractions. We need to focus on the mission at hand. Some of you used to serve God at a higher level. I told you I believe the best definition of backsliding that I've ever heard is that a, back, that a Christian who is backslidden is someone, if you can say that there was ever a place in your life, a time in your life where you loved God and served God more than you're doing right now, you've slidden back. If there was ever a time in your life where you were more excited about loving God than you are right now, you have slidden back. But I have good news for you today. God accepts front sliding. The devil wants you to backslide, but God wants you to front slide. And I want to encourage you to front slide today. Get focused on God. Make Him your commanding officer. Endure anything that life puts you through. Stop getting tangled up in peripheral things. Please the one that called you. Today's got a military theme. Let me close by being a recruiter. Let me close by inviting you to join the army of the Lord. Because I don't take for granted that just because you're sitting in a church that everybody in here is truly born again. Because the Bible says even that pastors, even that miracle workers, even, even, even church folk, are deceived. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out devils in your name. We did many wonderful works. And Jesus said, I'll profess to them I never knew you. Don't think because you used to preach, you used to teach, you used to deacon, you used to us, you used to sing, you used to lead, you used to minister. None of that makes you saved. The question is, are you truly born again? Has there ever been a time in your life where you truly repented of your sins and allowed God to save you, allowed God to do something so new, supernatural on the inside that it changed everything about you on the outside. Some people are coming to church trying to do better. You don't need to come to church and try to do better. You need to come to church and meet Jesus. You need to come to church and be saved for real because it's not about where you park your car on Sunday. It's about where you spend your existence in eternity. Coming to church won't make you a Christian. Knowing how to answer theology questions won't make you a Christian. The Bible says over and over again to examine yourself to see if you're truly in the faith. Are you truly in the faith today? Are you truly saved? If today was your day, you stepped out into eternity, are you confident that God would allow you to get into heaven? Are you convinced? Do you know for sure 
The Bible says that God has written these things to us that we might know that we have eternal life. Not hope so. Please don't hope that you're going to get into heaven. If you're if your only thought about getting into heaven is that you hope you're going to get in there, that screams doubt. And God has declared that doubt will keep you out, but faith will get you in. Are you saved? And do you know it for sure? Would you bow your head and pray with me? God, thank you for this time together. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for drawing us and driving us to want to please you. Thank you for enabling us and equipping us with all the things that we need that pertain to life and godliness. Thank you, God, for purchasing our freedom. Thank you for being our commanding officer. Thank you for choosing us before we had a chance to mess up the audition. Thank you for loving us and allowing us to love you. Thank you for giving us the faith to believe in you that so no one could boast, but that we all know that we're saved by grace through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's not something that we do. It's something that you've done. So, God, I pray that you'd have your way. Do your work your way. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.